Keystone Sports Network. Hello and welcome to the obligatory Keystone Crossover Show. I'm Jim Galanti along with Chris Bucanani. A combination of the obligatory Penn State podcast and the Keystone Sports Network. This is where Chris and I find a Penn State or college football talk topic that we're interested in and we want to share with you, our listeners. Chris, it's all about more football talk. How are you doing this week, my friend? I'm hanging in there, Jim. I think getting by day by day, which is all of us can claim it at this point, right? Uh, yeah, you and I were talking prior to starting to re- uh, record. So much going on in this world, a lot of craziness. Our, uh, I'm not sure what it means, but our very best to those over in the Ukraine. Uh, but Chris, people aren't listening to us to hear about politics or war. They're here to talk here about Penn State football. And I had a topic for today that I wanted to hit you up on. And it may seem like an old topic, but I want to take it from a little bit different point of view. And I want what I'm calling a nuanced look at James Franklin. I don't know about the response you get from your listeners. I know what I get from mine. There are those who just do not like James Franklin. When there was talk of him leaving, they were ready to see him out the door and take him to the airport. And then there are those, obviously, who are very strong supporters of Franklin that he could do no wrong. My feeling is this is not a one way or the other. There's a lot of nuance and gray area to this, and that's what I wanted to get from you. Let's start with this, a very general question, Chris. Top of your head, give me the pros for James Franklin. Give me the cons. Are you sure, Jim, you wouldn't rather talk about the looming specter of nuclear war? No, I'll tell you what, I'd rather talk about something more important, and that's the coach at Penn State football. (laughs) Also, something far more likely to get me uh, personally attacked on social media, no matter how I answer. (laughs) But yeah, let's dive in. Okay, well, I think the cons are relatively obvious. I even uh, talked talked about them with you previously. I think there is a a sufficient body of work now to call into serious question James Franklin's game day coaching chops, specifically his decision-making when it comes to game management, use of timeouts, when and when not to deploy trick plays and and, and gadget plays on special teams, Uh, those kind of little details that can win or lose you a football game. On top of that, I think there is some legitimate concern about the way we develop talent inside the program. Clearly, we can get it to Happy Valley, at least at a clip not seen in the preceding decade or so of Penn State football. But the key is not just getting the talent on campus. It's what you do once it gets here. And Penn State has lost on the regular under James Franklin in games where they faced opponents with inferior talent that had clearly just been taught to play football better. So those are the cons. The flip side is, again, if you go all the way back, and I know people don't want to hear this because they say it's excuse making, but you have to view things in context. And go all the way back to James Franklin arriving on campus and the absolute festering disaster 
of a 65 scholarship roster that was pulling backup defensive linemen to the other side of the football just so you could have five scholarship offensive linemen and how that could have potentially resulted in bad results on the field and how bad results on the field can then have carryover into recruiting. And the fact that he took that situation, that pile of dirty straw, and spun it however he got there into the goal of a Big Ten championship three years later. And I understand that he had Saquon Barkley and Trace McSorley. Well, guess what? James Franklin identified both of those talents before either one was considered anything close to what they turned into at the collegiate level or on the pro level in Barkley's case and got them to come to Penn State. So he deserves credit for that. And he deserves credit for that four-year stretch that included three 11-win seasons and the only conference title not won by Ohio State or Michigan since Christ was a boy. And so he deserves credit for that. And I, I think he deserves a lot of credit, too, for hitting a couple of speed bumps after that initial what appeared to be ascension to the playoff on deck circle in 2016 and 2017 and managing at least internal to the program to correct some things and and we hope maybe get things pointed in the right direction to because to have gone through everything Penn State football has in the last two seasons and no way around it 11 and 11 is super ugly 2020 and 2021, especially the way last season went downhill quickly. And in the midst of all of that, to have upgraded the coaching staff and brought in what I think is his most impressive recruiting class to date. And that includes holding it together through all the tumult. I I think the guy deserves a lot of credit for that. And I also believe that while he is, in my opinion, at times, a little too tone deaf, in terms of the way he communicates both internally and externally. And by internally, I mean with university leadership and key stakeholders among the boosters. And externally, I'm talking about to the broader fan base at large. In general, the stuff that really matters to me as a Penn State fan who loved Joe Paterno for a lot of reasons, but one of them being because I really embraced the philosophy of the grand experiment, which is win on the field win off the field that latter half of the equation which is so important to the way I view the brand of Penn State football I think he's been a very good caretaker of that I think Penn State has continued to attract and graduate really impressive young men who are by and large a credit to the program and the institution so I give him a lot of credit for that and I don't think he does get enough credit for that Chris um one of the great sayings under Joe Paterno is we had success with honor. And I think James Franklin has respected that style, and it's reflected in his players. Mostly, they're good kids, they're good guys, they get to class, they're good citizens, they speak well of the university when they're done and their time there. And there is something to be said for that, and I think he does deserve credit for that. My biggest issue with James Franklin is I I think sometimes he's tied to a... He's a very smart guy, but I think sometimes he outsmarts himself. He gets tied to a style of play. And then 
in the end of the game, he can't adjust it to run the ball and run out the clock in that three or four minute offense. He plays, if you ever notice in the post game, he'll, he'll tell you, we won the turnover battle, we won the explosive play battle. It's as if he's coaching by a formula. And it always reminds me, Chris, of somebody, there was some crazy statistic about when Emmett Smith runs for 100 yards, the Cowboys never lose, essentially. You know, they're like 105 and 1 when that's the situation. Well, and so it's like, well, if you coach to that, you just hand him the ball no matter what. Instead of saying, you know what, it's when the Cowboys were winning games that they went to the running game. So it's winning caused him to rush for over 100 yards as opposed to him rushing for 100 yards that created the winning. And sometimes people will get those formulas backwards, and I think that's what happens to James Franklin. And we see some of this on his, as you mentioned, the game day decisions. Fourth and one. Well, you know, there's, there's a school of thought. If you talk to some statisticians, they will tell you you should actually go for it every single time on fourth down. Statistically, right. that's the better way to do it. But as fans, we know there's a right time and place for it. But I think James Franklin will sometimes coach to the formula rather than having the feel for it. And one of the times when you don't necessarily go for it on fourth down and one is when you have a team that consistently fails on short yardage situations, right? Correct. Historically so. Yeah, and so as I'm thinking about how incredibly frustrating it was to have as anemic a rushing offense as Penn State did last year. And again, when you go back and you dig into the numbers, it's actually worse than you remember it. It's making me think about this entire topic. And I think this is maybe something that would be best saved for the very end to sum up the conversation, but I just want to say it before I forget it. As I'm thinking about Franklin if the question is, does he have my trust and confidence right now? The answer is no. But has he earned the right to win it back? And do I at least reserve some optimism that that's possible? The answer is yes. So that's where I'm at on James Franklin. Um, to, I guess fit in with the, uh, the, the, the tenor of the times, Jim, my posture is trust but verify. <laughs> it's a good way to put it and and i've said it multiple times on our show with you our other shows i'm a very big james franklin fan i personally like the guy i think he's a really smart guy i think he is a good football coach that doesn't make him perfect what has impressed me if we'll go to the current times we've seen in college football how many teams have collapsed, those elite teams. You know, I'm talking about Miami, I'm talking about Nebraska, USC, Texas, who were all at the pinnacle of the game. And guess what? It is possible for a team to crumble, to fall off that pedestal. And if there was ever a time for that to happen, it's right now when you have back-to-back seasons where you combine for a 500 record. And as I've pointed out, they are below 500 in the Big Ten over that time span. That's the kind of thing that could very much lead to a collapse. 
But how has he responded? As you mentioned, class of 22, probably his best recruiting class ever. Guess what? Class of 23 is shaping up to be a really good one also. And at, just adding to that, Chris, is I think he's smart enough to identify his problems and fix them. He had an issue recruiting in Pennsylvania. He shored that up. He brought in Kirk Sharaka as an offensive coordinator and said, you know what, this isn't working. It's not where I want it to be. Made the change. He made a change at offensive line. And maybe we haven't seen the results yet. But I'm feeling pretty good about the direction it's going. It's taking longer than I had hoped, but Phil Troutwine seems to be getting it together, bringing in some really good recruits, top level. The bigger point being, offensive line, you, you cannot have watched this team the last couple of years without saying, hey, I, we got a problem there. And it looks like they identified it and they did something about it. I respect that with James Franklin. Yeah, and there's a lot to be said for stability in college football over the long term. The ability to create some consistency at the top for, again, your fans, your donors, for recruits and their families, for keeping the players who are in the program inside the program. Because remember, you're having to re-recruit your guys basically all the time, every single season and off season. So having something that has been here, been consistent and being able to send the signal that that is what you can expect going forward into the future. I think that's really valuable in two ways on the front end. It allows you to set realistic expectations. Everyone who is considering coming to play football for Penn state now can look back at the last eight years of the program and know exactly what they're buying into. And we've talked ad nauseum about how the structure of James's contract means he and Penn State are joined at the hip for the next several seasons. So that does allow you to sell stability. And going back to the type of program that he's run, I think in general, James and his staff have been pretty disciplined at identifying the type of player they want to bring in and only recruiting those players. And I think if you're selling the brand of Penn State football and the experience of Penn State football, especially in the NIL era, you're going to have to find a kid who's got a pretty good head on his shoulders, who can evaluate the whole picture and not get mesmerized with whatever shiny thing you can dangle in front of them. You know, that goes all the way back to when Penn State in the Paterno era was recruiting you. You know, like Brandon said, I stayed in a five-star hotel when I went to Ann Arbor and I slept on Kerry Collins' couch when I came to Penn State. There's um, a truth in advertising aspect that's been part of the brand of this program. It's the bones and soul of Penn State football going back 60 years. And so I, I do think understanding who that kid is is important. And I think for what we are doing at Penn State, consistency is going to be an effective part of the sales pitch to the kind of kid we're going to bring in here and develop. You know, I think about the two kids who are wearing Super Bowl, newly minted Super Bowl rings right now, Grant Haley and Nick Scott. I, I mean, I call them kids. These are like grown men who are playing in the NFL. But 
those two guys, and they're two of my favorite Nittany Lions probably the last 20 years. I've said that before. They, to me, epitomize the kind of football player who James is going to win with. Like, yeah, you've got to bring in your Drew Allers and your Nick Singletons, you know, your, your Micah Parsons, but you've got to win with more than just your five-star kids. We're never going to be Alabama go or Ohio State going too deep with five-star and high four-star kids. So you're going to need to find guys with piss and vinegar. And so I think being able to sell stability and consistency to the mindset of that type of player, that's going to be valuable. And going back to my point about James adjusting and seeing what he's doing wrong and correcting, as you mentioned as well, I do think coming out of 2016 and 2017, we took some swings on some kids who I don't think James would ever recruit in 2020 and 2021 because I think the rosters he ended up with from 2018 to 2020, I think two out of those three seasons, he got to the end of the year relieved that he didn't have to deal with them anymore. So I think you've seen a renewed focus, not only on bringing in in in-state talent and renewed effort on bringing in the high-end guys that has yielded results, but I think also maybe a little bit more focus on what is the whole picture type of player we are bringing into the program, even if his recruiting ranking or, or star ranking profile isn't quite what you would hope it to be when you're comparing numbers on a spreadsheet of Penn State versus Michigan or Ohio State or some of the other top programs around the country. And all of those things are to his credit, in my opinion. And and to that point, uh, Chris, when you had the star players at Penn State, and I would say Saquon and McSorley, the biggest stars of the James Franklin era, both great kids in every way. And again, they're grown men. I'm still calling them kids. And the word that you're hearing on, like Drew Allard, Nick Singleton, who appear to be the next generation of stars coming, you're hearing the same kind of compliments about those kids of being not just highly talented, but really good kids. The kind of kids that make you think, yes, success with honor is part of the program's identity. All right, Chris, wrap it up with this. Scale of 1 to 10. 10 is there is nobody else in the world I want coaching my Penn State football team other than James Franklin. One being anybody else. What's your confidence level in Coach Franklin? Let me preface by saying I'm a tough grader, Jim, but – I'm going to give him a seven, and frankly, he should be happy to have it for whatever it's worth. <laughs> All right, we'll go with that. I'm going to throw out, I'm going to give him an eight because, you know, quite candidly, when there was all this talk of him going to USC, I'm not really not sure. I, I In my head, there was a guy that I said, you know what? If he goes, this is the guy I want coaching this team. I really don't know who I would have wanted after him. So he may let, not be well, perfect, but he's all Yeah, let me Go clarify. Ahead. Years ago in my college apartment, one of my friends was great at keeping us up late at night, drinking beers, making lists of things. Rank your top 10, this, that, or the other. Rank this, rank that. So he asked a great question I've thought about many times. He said, rank from most to least desired team championships for sports teams you root for. And Jim, I have resolved at the age of 42 to have been blessed to get one of my top three. 
And I have also totally given up on the other two, which is a Flyers Stanley Cup and a Penn State National Championship. So unless you as a head coach get me to two out of three, you're not getting a 10, okay? If there is a ring on your finger, you get a 10. So really for me, it's a nine-point scale. And so for James Franklin right now to get from me a seven is, in my opinion, ludicrously high. And yet I'm sticking with it. I am doubling down on the seven. So that's where I'm at. All right. Very good. I'm glad I'm not taking uh, classes with Professor Chris. That is it for the show. Thank you all for listening. Be sure you join us next week on the obligatory Keystone Crossover Show. Keystone Sports Network. 